Well, it's hard to believe that we are almost at the very end of our series in the book of Philippians. I don't know about you, but this has been such a powerful series for me. It has really spoken to me deeply about who we are as the people of God and, and our life together um, in Christ. And uh, I trust that God's been speaking to you as well. And I want to encourage you at least one more time between now and next Sunday when we conclude this series. I want to encourage you to sit down and read the whole book through at one sitting. Remember, that takes a grand total of 14 minutes. Uh, I bet you can find the time to do that. Read it through with uh, inviting God by his spirit to call back to mind some of the ways that he's been encouraging you and challenging you and speaking to you through the book over the past four months. And then I would encourage you to turn that back to him in conversation and also to turn that out to one another. It'd be great if that was the basis of our conversation this week. So, uh, you know, I, just going back and rereading the book of Philippians, I'm reminded of how God spoke to me uh, in this section. What about you? Well, we come this morning to the, uh, the last major theme in the book of Philippians, and this is where Paul picks up the theme of giving in support of ministry. Now, let me just ask you right off the bat, as you think about giving, what kinds of thoughts and what kinds of feelings come to your mind? I think this is a, an area that's fraught uh, with a whole variety of mixed feelings. On the one hand, we know we're supposed to give, and, and often we are glad to be able to give, and, and often we are grateful to be able to benefit from the fruit of our giving as we, as we see the way that we receive some benefit to ourselves spiritually. But I think also we may feel some guilt that we're not giving enough, or we may feel some frustration that churches in general seem to be constantly asking money. We may feel concern about uh, all of the scandals we've heard in the church across the country and around the world related to money. We may feel some hesitation that at times it feels like the church just uses its money to serve itself. And we may feel suspicious about giving to this institution that's called the church. Well, the passage that we are looking at today is about giving in support of ministry, and it is one that I think has the potential to uh, importantly shift the way that we think about giving. This is such a great section, and I think that it takes an area that is fraught with awkwardness and tension and misgiving, and it frames it in such a rich and inviting way. So we're going to read the passage beginning in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. And along the way, I think we'll discover uh, three really valuable kingdom principles. So as we turn there, just one bit of context that I think is helpful for us to be reminded of as we come into this section. The whole book of Philippians was actually prompted by a gift that was given by the Philippians to Paul. It came in the form of a financial gift, and it, and it was brought by another gift, which was a spiritual friend, Epaphroditus, who came not only hand the gift onto Paul, but also to be able to share with him in his work. In chapter 4, verse 18, it says, I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Paul explains in chapter 2 why he actually is sending Epaphroditus back with this note to the Philippians because he got sick and they were concerned for him and he wants to make sure uh, that, they, that he is okay. So having written a letter of fond affection to his brothers and sisters in Christ, offering his spiritual encouragement and counsel to them, he now comes to the subject of their gift to him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord 
that at last you renewed your concern for me. And indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Kingdom principle one related to our giving coming out of this passage. In the kingdom of God, giving isn't cause for apprehension. It is cause for joy. You know this. Money isn't the ultimate answer for anything. But it certainly can be a beneficial difference maker in a number of different situations when it is given strategically. Paul was moved deeply to joy by the concern for him that prompted the Philippians to send a gift his direction. And he says, essentially, oh, my dear brothers and sisters, what joy this gives me in the Lord, that your concern for me blossomed again. I knew it was there all along, but you just didn't have the opportunity to put it into action. Every time that we give, we give reasons for joy right alongside whatever the gift is that we give. And when we see the joy that our giving brings to others, that brings joy back to us, doesn't it? I think sometimes for those of us who, who, for whom giving is just a regular part of what we do, I think we can experience a failure of imagination in this area that robs us of some of the deep joy that God intends would come with our giving. We see our money just disappear off into the mailbox or off into the offering plate. Remember those things? Or off into the, the, the world of the interweb, as my kids call it. And we don't really think about how it ultimately wakes its way to the other end and benefits people as a result of our generosity and brings them joy. But when we give money, we give joy and we receive joy as well. I'm convinced that that's at least part of why the Philippians were so generous in their support of Paul. We'll learn in just a moment that they not only supported Paul when he went to Thessalonica, 100 miles away from them, but they continued to support him when he went to Corinth, 375 miles past Thessalonica. And now they are resuming their giving in support of his ministry. And Paul is 1,200 miles away from them, which in the ancient world is a long, long way away. So, I wonder if you've discovered the joy that comes with giving. Those of you who are younger, I think, unfortunately, this is one of the best-kept secrets in the church. Because those of you, those who are ahead of you in age and spiritual maturity don't want to brag about what their giving is. They don't want to list all the places their money is going. And, and as a result of our maybe not having that conversation, you get robbed of the joy of hearing what a joy it is to give in support of God's kingdom work. It is never too early for you to begin to give in support of ministry. But as we'll see as we go further on in this passage, Paul's joy is not just connected to the fact that some of his needs get met as a result of gifts being given. It's connected to something much deeper than that. And so is the joy that the Philippians find in their giving. It's connected to something much deeper than the joy they find in Paul's joy. So picking back up the thread of Paul's idea, last Sunday we we looked at 11 to 13, which is kind of an aside on contentment. If you missed that message, I would encourage you to listen to it. Picking up back in verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. 
For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So in this passage, Paul reintroduces a word that is one of the most important words that runs through the book of Philippians. Paul uses it six times, and it is the primary the word that he uses for the church in this letter. It's the, the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia means sharing in or taking part in something together. Alan and the guys working out on the deck, and man, does it look incredible. I hope you've had a chance to take a peek at it. They are a koinonia of construction. The women who will gather on the deck on Thursday evenings during the summer, they will be a koinonia of conversation. The hospital team that expresses this church's care for, for those who are sick are a koinonia of compassion. The staff in our planning for all that's going to be happening this summer is a koinonia of collaboration and concatenation. You have to look that one up. Fans of the comedian Brian Regan are a koinonia of convulsion. Right, Jordan kids? We were just talking about that this week. Well, you get the idea. Koinonia means sharing in or taking part in something together. Paul uses a word in verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And again, in verse 15, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So in these verses, Paul comes to the close, as Paul comes to the close of his letter, he, he actually circles around to the place to, with which he began this letter to the theme of this incredible partnership that he has been blessed to enjoy with his brothers and sisters in Philippi. Philippians 1 verse 5, in all of my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. You may remember from that message several months ago that, that Paul uses that idea of koinonia to capture two themes in particular with the Philippians. They are a fellowship of affection, first of all, regarding one another with a fondness and, and a joy in one another's company, treating one another with a high regard, finding great delight in one another, and they are a partnership of purpose, banding together, sharing together in their common kingdom, bringing their resources to bear, in order to fulfill their great calling of knowing Jesus and making him known. That's how Paul wants us to understand our giving. When we give, we are partnering together. We're not just meeting a need or paying for a program. We're not just supporting an organization or funding an institution. We are sharing in and taking part in something together. I love how Paul describes this in verse 15. A really beautiful image. The J.B. Phillips translation captures it perfectly. When he talks about Paul and the Philippians sharing together in the fellowship of giving and receiving. What a great way to describe the local church. The fellowship of giving and receiving. And not just in the way that we might typically think of one gives and the other receives. Uh, all of the answers were up here. I forgot to erase them. No cheating on the test. So here's the typical way that we think about this. There's a receiver and there's a giver. And this, uh, from the giver comes a contribution and from the receiver comes back some benefit. I mean, that's often the, the way that we conceive of the transaction when we're giving. And Paul urges us to think about this in a completely different way as a partnership 
of engaging together. Let's unfold this a little bit more. In the fellowship of giving and receiving, Paul wants to be clear that that giving and receiving is mutual. Everyone gives in the local church, and everyone receives. Everyone contributes, and everyone benefits. Everybody is engaged in ministry, and everybody benefits from ministry. All of which brings us to the second kingdom principle in this section of the book of Philippians related to our giving. And that is this. In the kingdom, giving is never about simply transferring funds from one account to another. Giving is always about partnership. You guys who are working with parachurch organizations, you know this. It is not fundraising that you are doing. It is building a team of partners to share with you in your ministry. Most of you know that apart from last year and again this year because of COVID for the past 10 years or so, I've, I've gone to Romania and, and uh, some other places doing seminary in a suitcase, in some cases bringing along some of you. And, and I've, I've shared this with you before, but every single time I go to Romania and interact with Daniela Prebach, uh, and a number of you have been blessed to get to know her, she always says the same thing, and I always respond in the same way. She always says that my presence there makes her feel as though our whole church family has hopped on a plane and gone to be with her and to enter into partnership with her in her kingdom work. And I always communicate back, and she always says it with tears in her eyes. And I always say back to her, I feel the same way. When I go, it's never just me. I feel like I go with the whole congregation in my pockets. This is us. And it is such a privilege for us to partner with you. That's why our mission committee is no longer called the missions committee. It's called the mission partnership team to capture this idea that, that all giving is a giving and receiving in partnership. In the kingdom, giving is always an expression of our sharing in and taking part in something together. All right, so let me just pause here and touch on something that is a somewhat unfamiliar idea if you are somewhat new to the church. It's actually been part of the church's conversation about giving for centuries. It's the idea of the tithe. In the Old Testament, there are several different words that are used to describe the gifts that the people of God can give, but the two most common terms are tithe and offering. An offering was a one-time gift that you would give in response to uh, some need that you were uh, prompted by God to give something to, whether it be a person in need or a cause or a synagogue or whatever. But a tithe was a regular and routine gift that was just expected from God's people on an ongoing basis. The word tithe uh, is actually just an old English word that means tenth. In Leviticus 27 and Numbers 18 and Deuteronomy 14, uh, those are the passages where God establishes this practice of the tithe as an expectation for all of God's people. One-tenth of what you earn is just automatically given back for God's work. So, Two big questions as we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And my guess is that you've uh, asked these questions yourself. First, is the tithe still valid? And if it is, does the whole tithe need to go to the church? Or can I just direct it wherever I want to in support of God's kingdom work? 
And I think those are really valuable and important questions. So in answer to the question of whether or not the tithe is still expected of God's people, I think it's really interesting to notice that there are three different times in his teaching where Jesus talks about the tithe. But in each cases, in each of those cases, he is addressing a, an abuse, a misuse of the practice of tithing. He isn't scrapping the whole idea. And, and by addressing the misuses of the tithe, I think he's actually strengthening the practice. And that certainly uh, is supported by the, the way that the early church interpreted this, where tithing was part of its life from the very uh, beginning. So what about where the tithe should go? Does the tithe need to go back to the church, or can I just send it wherever I feel inclined to do that? Well, I think that's actually where this whole idea of the church as the fellowship of giving and receiving helps us so much. Now, we can be tempted to think of a tithe like a due that is paid to an organization to satisfy an obligation. But I think the scripture leads us to see that is really a wrong way to think. It's actually fascinating when you go back and look at these passages of scripture in the Old Testament that, that talk about how, how and why God established this practice, such as in Deuteronomy 14, what you see is that the, the reason for the tithe is not to fund a religious organization. The money doesn't go into the temple coffers to fatten the institution. Actually, what it spells out is that the money goes to support the spiritual leaders of the people of God, the Levites and the priests, and it's also used to underwrite ministry, including meeting the needs of those within the believing community and also meeting needs of people outside the believing community. All of which takes us right back to this idea of the fellowship of giving and receiving. So let me just make this really personal. When you give to the church, you are partnering in the life of this church's staff in a way that is profoundly moving and humbling and encouraging for us. The food on our table, the eggs in our fridge, the granola in our pantry, the shirts on our back, the sheets on our bed, the, the flowers in our gardens, the firewood in our fireplace. Just to begin the list. Not to mention the water and the electricity that come into our house and the gas that goes into our cars. All of that is gift from you. All of it. It is an incredibly encouraging and humbling thing for those of us who are this church's staff. And on behalf of the whole staff, I just want to thank you again for your incredible faithfulness and generosity in giving to support us as we seek to be about the things of the kingdom. So the local church is the primary community where we give and receive. When you give to the church, you are not funding an institution. You are partnering with people and you are participating in ministry. So based on our look at the origin of this practice of tithing, which is to support staff and ministry, while it isn't spelled out in the New Testament, and while people come out in different positions on this, I think it's right to, to conclude that the principle of tithing is still God's expectation of his people, and that the whole tithe should go to the fellowship of giving and receiving. It should go to the local church to support staff and ministry. And then gifts and offerings Beyond the tithe can be given in response to whatever needs or ministries God may prompt you to give to. 
Well, that raises one more question, I think. Doesn't the church spend a whole lot of money on itself? Benefiting itself rather than those around us? And I would just say, while that sounds like a fair critique in principle, it is true that most of what we take in from our offerings, 80% of it does in fact go to support staff and ministries, the majority of which are designed to serve and to strengthen the body of Christ here at Covenant, we could forget that that's actually exactly why the church exists. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 is. It's like the charter for the church of how we are called to use our resources to strengthen and to build up the body of Christ so that, strengthened and equipped, it can go out into the community and be difference makers for the sake of the kingdom. If we were to just give all of our money away, then the church would disappear as a fellowship of giving and receiving, and it would just turn into a, a philanthropic organization that distributed resources. That would be kind of like a bakery giving away its kitchen and no longer being able to provide bread for the world. I think this passage and others like it press us to completely rethink what it means to give to the church. I think when we give to the church, it's easy for us to think in terms of our being owners of our possessions and our giving because we're members of an organization. So it's this obligatory contribution that we give in exchange for some service that comes back to us. Instead, God, through this passage and lots of others like it, presses us to see that we are stewards of our possessions. We know that every single thing that we have belongs to God. Everything. And we just get to hold it in trust for his sake and to fulfill his purposes and to bring him pleasure. And when we give, we do so in the context of relationship and partnership as the joyful outworking of our fellowship and giving, of giving and receiving. So I just wonder before we go on to the last section, how might God be inviting you to rethink your paradigm of giving? All right, so now back to the um, passage and, and then a look at the third principle of kingdom giving. Philippians chapter 4, beginning, uh, picking back up in verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more would be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Principle one, in the kingdom of God, giving isn't cause for apprehension, but cause for joy. Principle two, in the kingdom of God, giving is never about simply transfer, transferring funds from one account to another. Giving is always about partnership. And now here is the third principle, that in the kingdom of God, whatever we give horizontally, we actually give vertically as well. And whatever we receive horizontally, we are also receiving vertically as well. It turns out that there is way more involved in our giving than meets the eye, much more. Look at the way that Paul turns the eyes of the Philippians vertically and includes God in this picture of giving and receiving. Not only includes him, but puts him right in the center of that partnership. 
First of all, he did it when he talked about their gift in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord when I received your gift, saying, I see your gift as from him. At the same time, it's from you. He also does this in verse 17 when he speaks about the, the gift that they gave him being credited to their account. In verse 10, he spoke of their concern blossoming toward him. And now he turns the picture around and he talks about the gift bearing fruit for them, for the giver. And that is true specifically because of the way that God sees them as a result of their gift. He does this again in verse 18 using language dripping with Old Testament imagery and references when he describes their gifts to him as actually gifts given directly to God. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And he does this one more time, in case we don't have the idea, in verses 18 and 19, when he says not only that he is amply supplied, but by using the exact same wording, he says that they will be as well. My God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I love the way that the New Testament or the New Living Translation picks up this parallel between how God provides for Paul and how God provides for the Philippians. In their translation it says, and this same God who takes care of me will also supply all of your needs from his glorious riches. So we can see that this fellowship of giving and receiving takes on a whole new level by introducing God into this uh, fellowship. So the letter starts off with Paul expressing gratitude to God for the gift that he has received from the Philippians. But then he also expresses gratitude to the Philippians for the concern that they are showing him by giving this gift to them. Uh, the concern is going this way and the gratitude is going this way. But then Paul rounds the corner again and he helps them to see that God has provided all of his needs amply. And he tries to help them see that their giving, in fact, is an offering to God, even though it was given to him, and that the same God who's been so faithful to provide Paul's needs will provide all of their needs. Isn't that a beautiful picture of a shared partnership between the people of God and God himself? Paul takes us into the, the mystery, this deeper dimension of our giving, which is bringing us straight into the presence and work of God himself. God, the, who is the ultimate giver. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Paul lifts our eyes, the Philippians' eyes, from their gift to God's unceasing giving. Whenever two give and receive in the fellowship of giving and receiving, a third is always involved. When we give, God gives. When we receive, God gives. God is always in the picture. So Paul closes his letter with this beautiful reminder that even though he himself is in prison and facing challenging circumstances, even though they as a church are, are struggling through tension that has the potential of dividing them as a church, even though the Christian life is fraught with challenges, God is sufficient for every one of their needs, spiritual and material. 
my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord God, it is so humbling to think that all of us uh, have the opportunity to participate in your work of giving in your expressions of grace and bounty lavishly poured out upon this world and upon your people. It is our great joy, Lord, to, uh, to make our resources available back to you, to invite you to continue to shape our thinking about our giving so that it's consistent with the way that you want us to see it. And for us to be quick with our yes to you as you put your invitations before us. We pray this in the name of the one who is our shepherd and who ever watches over his sheep. In the name of Jesus, our King.